All right. Hello, and welcome to the Yet Another Value podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Walker. And with me today, I'm excited to have Javier Lovato. Uh, Javier is the founder of the Blind Squirrel, Squirrel Substack. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. I'm excited to be here, and I was looking forward to it. Hey, I, I'm happy to have you. You're you're our first guest coming at us from Spain, so it's good to expand the international opportunity. But uh, let me start the podcast the way I do every podcast, and that's by pitching okay. you my guest. You know, uh, I only stumbled on you a month or so ago. You put out a write-up on the company we're going to talk about today, Netflix. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I read it. And when I was reading it, I was thinking to myself the whole time, this is so good. Like if, if you covered up the title and you just gave it to me, I'd be like, oh, you know, one of the tech experts like Matthew Ball or uh, Ben Thompson over at Stratechery, one of they, ju they just put out a new like updated thesis on Netflix. But no, it was this blind squirrel Substack that only had three posts so far. And I was like, this is incredible. This is a great piece of work. As soon as I read it, I knew I wanted to have you on. I reached out to you. I've been telling you, please come on. So I'm just really happy to get to have you on. I think people, everyone should go check out your uh, Substack. It is awesome. It, it reminds me, if you keep up with it, it reminds me of like an early, early scuttle blurb or something, which I've got huge respect for. So uh, that pitch out the way, let's turn to the company we're going to talk about. That's Netflix. I'm sure everyone knows it. Tickers NFLX. Disclosure, I think you have a position in it, but uh, yeah. I'll just open it up by asking you, why is Netflix a good investment right now? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for the endorsement there. Uh, I think you're your work is amazing and thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate well. that, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, okay. First of all, I think uh, um, it's a really compelling opportunity given the, um, we, whenever we, I mean, we tend to have a more leisure time, uh, increasing amount of time. And we spend that time uh, with video, social, social, um, you know, uh, social networks and video games. And, you know, um, you have the opportunity to own a piece of uh, a company that's providing uh, thousands of hours of content to millions of subscribers every single day. And you don't really depend on any given title. So it's more like a platform-like play. Uh, you don't, it's not a hit-driven business because uh, any given show is not going to turn uh, uh, because they don't like one title uh, or, or the other. And, it's more insulated from, you know, I mean, the always uh, dynamics uh, playing out in terms of uh, we want to, uh, we want more short form content, there's TikTok and that stuff. But we've always uh, watched TV, we've always watched uh, entertainment and storytelling is intrinsic to human being. And I think we'll always uh, uh, be attracted to, to that form of entertainment. Perfect, perfect. No, that makes sense. And, and all of that makes sense, but I guess... Uh, the underlying your whole theme is that Netflix, I think, and I don't want to put words in your, your mouth, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a big piece of your theme is Netflix has this huge scale advantage, right? And I, I think mm -hmm. it, it would come in a few places. A, because they've got a lot of personalized data on you. They can offer you titles and kind of uh, fill up your viewing time better than anyone else. And then B, I think their international scale, you know, you think about something with like Lupin, right? Which was a breakout international hit and that was filmed locally in France and it's dubbed sure. over and like the, uh, the smaller services aren't going to have those international hits. So it's going to be much more different. I was wondering if you could dive into those two different pieces of kind of the scale, uh, the scale okay. argument for Netflix. Sure. So first of all, uh, scale, I mean, you are, uh, it's close to 220, uh, 210 uh, subscribers, 210 million subscribers uh, in the world. And you're basically huge, uh, 
huge company, uh, you can spread the cost of failure of any given title uh, between a huge subscriber base. So you can uh, make bold bets. Uh, I mean, what I mean by this is um, you can invest in content that wasn't previously feasible or wasn't, uh, you know, was thought was too risky. And you can do that because you can spread the cost of failure among a huge subscriber base. Yep. Uh, then, then you basically uh, can afford to pay up more. But, well, there are huge capitalized companies, tech companies that can't pay up for content. So even though um, you can still pay up more and you'll always have that scale advantage, uh, I think, um, you know, I think scale is not based on, you know, paying more dollars uh, for splashy titles or for, you know, big marquee uh, names, titles like Jennifer Aniston or that kind of stuff. Um, I think the most relevant uh, uh, you know, features of scale is that uh, Netflix is always present on the, the the conversation, the global conversation. So, like you sell uh, titles like Lupin or or, or you know uh, titles like uh, Bridgerton. I mean, they are part of of our lives. I mean, if your coworker is talking about uh, the Witcher, or your coworker is talking about uh, your friend is talking about I don't know um, Bridgerton or that kind of titles. I mean, you'll be attracted to to, to that kind of uh, service and you want to watch what everyone is watching so i think that's interesting and there's another point i'd like to make i think um if we just think about uh the creators uh you know the people who the actors the directors who who you know do the movies um they are attracted to netflix because um this is a service that uh, provides them a platform uh where they can uh, they couldn't previously produce content, so you have low-budget films like Below Zero in Spain. It's, uh, it's produced by a director who's not really known in Spain, and this film has like 50 million uh, views on Netflix, so that's huge because you uh, are a platform to, to the world. You're basically democratizing the way that content creation is now produced um, because if you just think it for a second, uh, our tastes in content, what's trending, what's not, um, uh, what we used to watch, cinemas or, or or big franchises are mostly US. Basically, uh, every single big franchise is it's American, uh, Star Wars, I mean, all most of the bigger franchises are American. Why? Because uh, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't, you know, uh, a way that, uh, you know, local producers could, uh, could invest big budgets into producing big, uh, you know, big titles, and now they have the opportunity. And this is unleashing a huge amount of creativity around the world. I mean, uh, you have, uh, for example, Klaus, uh, which is an animation movie, uh, yep. it's created by by a Spanish uh, animator. And this type of animation haven't, you know, haven't been produced in Spain for for years, and now it's. It's feasible to produce this type of content because there's a player, Snowflix, is investing in this type of content and it's uh, making it available uh, this content to to every single individual. Perfect. Uh, so let me let me dive into a couple points you made there. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I want to dive into specific points, but I think this all relates back to one of the bare points we're going to talk, which you always hear: Netflix doesn't have any quality shows; they only have quantity. And we'll discuss that yeah. specific point in a second, but. You mentioned the the Netflix water cooler thing, and then you mentioned uh, creators like working for Netflix. So let's start with creators. Yeah. You know, 
one of the, I a hundred percent agree, right? Like if all else is equal and I'm a creator and a platform with a hundred million people comes to me and a platform with 10 million people comes to me, if the money's the same, even if the money's cheaper, I'm probably going to go with the hundred million because you know, how many shows have gotten lost because they're on some small streaming service, right? So I agree with that. But on the other hand, I look at a lot of Netflix creator partnerships deals and I feel like they have to be disappointed by them, right? Like I think about the, uh, I think it's Ryan Murphy, the guy who did Glee and American Horror Story and all that. Politician was really disappointed on Netflix. Uh, Prom was just awful. I think Nurse Ratched or whatever didn't do that well. So there's that. Uh, Kenya Barris, the guy who created Blackish, 2018, he did this big buzzy leave where he was leaving Disney to go to Netflix. I don't even know if he put out a show for Netflix, and I think he left to go to Viacom. So I look at a lot of these buzzy partnerships they've had, and so, I agree with yeah. you. I think I think creators should want to work with them, but when I look at those buzzy partnerships, I say. They don't seem to be going well. They seem to be producing bad content. So what's going on with those when I push back at that part, part of the both? Okay, so first of all, uh, Netflix has started to sign exclusive agreements with uh, producers and directors in, I think it was 2017, uh, in a meaningful scale. So that time st- that takes time to scale. And yep. it's, if you just think it for a second, it's huge because uh, you have a service that barely had any original content in 2012. and Five years later, five years later, uh, they start uh, signing exclusive agree- agreements with producers, but and not just, just producers, the biggest producers in the yeah, world, right? Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's, yeah, these are big it's completely, yeah. it's completely insane because uh, you know uh, back then Netflix, uh, for example, Netflix Movie Slate was sustained by Adam Sandler uh, <laughs> movies, and you know that's right. But uh, now you have The Rock and and uh, just announcing. Uh, Movies late, so it's incredible. So you said that. Um, moreover, I want to I want to add that not every single creator would go to Netflix. Um, I mean, I think that upcoming actors, upcoming directors, are the one who benefit the most from these type of companies. Why? Because yeah. if you are an established director, Jennifer Aniston or whatever, you just you may go to the to the highest bidder. You don't really care. But if you are there's a huge number of actors here in Spain and directors who have completely changed their careers, their trajectories, uh, because they were featured in a popular Netflix show. So if you take, for example, uh, I don't know if you you've seen that, but Elite is a really popular show uh, here in Spain, uh, some Netflix show, and similar to Gossip Girl and that kind of stuff. I don't know if you, well, it was a huge success and it has completely changed the career of the, the actors involved. Uh, there's a popular slide uh, in the representation that I really like is the, the amount of Instagram followers that the- I, the I love it when they show that, yeah. It's, it's really good. And another example, for example, um, I don't know if you, you heard of this one, but uh, Abigail uh, Cohen, who is the, the who performs in, in Wings, uh, The Last Wish is another uh, Netflix series. Uh, I mean, there's an Instagram post. You can go up and look for it. Uh, crying in the middle of the night because uh, their TV uh, service uh, was top 10 in the US. So that's the kind of influence that Netflix, I mean... Uh, let me push back on one thing here, right? So I don't just dis- I don't disagree with Netflix's uh, star creating skills, right? But I do think there is something Netflix goes, and I love that slide where they say, "Hey, look how many Instagram followers one of our breakout stars got." But th- that's not different than a breakout star in-, in any medium, right? Like I'm sure I'm sure the people who were starring, <laughs> I watch so little network TV at this point, I don't know. But the Arrowverse over on CW, which Netflix helps makes extremely popular, right? But the Arrowverse on CW, those guys have huge followings, tons of fans, tons of Instagram. Followers. 
collars and stuff, right? And that's just on the CW. And I'm sure there are, you know, if I looked at Fox's shows or ABC, you, you know, the ABC, what is it? Um, Fresh off the boat. All those people were like break breakout stars and breakout hits. So how much is Netflix actually... Like, I don't think there's anything that says Netflix per se is driving more breakout stars per show than everything else, or, you know, because of their skill, maybe they will be, would, but how, how would you push back on that? I think, um, what you mean is just that, um, this is Netflix is doing it at a, at a global scale. I mean, this kind of linear TVs, uh, you would only, these stars would only get to know, get, uh, you know, fame, uh, on a national scale. Uh, but on the other side, you have uh, national actors who barely speak in English and can be, you know, can be famous, you know, at Japan uh, or countries that you'd never think it was going to be possible. So that's one of the main points I like to make. And, you know, the other is that um, there's benefits. Uh, there are benefits in capturing the the most amount of viewership. If you are the, the platform, the de facto platform, so you just start Netflix, what's on Netflix, and you then go to the other platforms if you want to watch something specific, but you don't turn, uh, you don't turn Netflix, or most of the times, 80% of the, of the content um, comes from Netflix suggestions, from the screen, and that's hugely important because it allows, um, you know, you don't really know what are you going to watch, but just so that you'll be entertained. And that's uh, one of the main aspects that's on a global scale and difficult to achieve. It's perfect. And let's bring back. So you mentioned the uh, the water cooler, what I call the water cooler thing, right? Where yeah. Netflix yeah. drives the, cult the cultural conversation. And, and there's mm -hmm. a great, I love the clip you have in uh, your article where in 2020 of the 10 most searched shows globally, I think Netflix had nine of the 10. And then of the most searched movies globally, Netflix had like half of the 10 or something right now. Yeah. 2020 for movies might've been a little different, but it shows Netflix shows are uh, reverberating throughout the world at a rate that's different than everyone else's. But mm. on, on the other hand, I think a frequent pushback is where is Netflix's Game of Thrones? You know, like something like Game of Thrones just mm -hmm. breaking, completely breaking, or all the Disney Plus shows. You know, I feel like Netflix sure. shows are probably watched more, but I, I, this might just be me personal. I think the buzz around the Disney Plus shows. So I, I think the, a big pushback here would be like, yes, Netflix shows are popular. You, you look at Bridgerton, you look at The Witcher, but I don't think any of them have hit the same level as no. that a, of a traditional. No, not yet. Yeah, not so yet. how would you I, think about that? I agree. I agree with you. Uh, not yet. But I think, um, that's a quote that I really like, uh, quantity helps with quality. Yeah. So that's powerful because uh, at the end of the day, uh, where's the next Star Wars going to, to come from? probably with Netflix. Why? Yeah. Because you are, you are just producing so much content on a global scale from global producers. I mean, and creativity and quality is not uh, exclusive of the United States. It happens on a global scale, but uh, that wasn't previously feasible. That wasn't, that wasn't creators all over the world uh, didn't have a platform where they could, you know, uh, they could display the talent. Um, I think eventually they will come up with uh, something as big as Disney shows. I mean, Disney has a bigger advantage of, uh, over um, creating and monetizing franchises over Netflix because um, you think for a second you have a uh, company that is designed 
um, for creating and monetizing franchises. You have the parks, you have the, you know, the, the uh, every single aspect of the company is focused around cultivating and nurturing the franchises. Um, I think they could eventually come up with uh, uh, Disney-like uh, shows, but it will take time. Uh, I think, just pause for a second, eight years ago, Netflix hadn't or uh, didn't have any original content. So if you just think for a second, because uh, movies and, and shows take, take a lot of time to produce, yep. uh, three or more years. So we are they are now investing into their 2023 or 24 hours late and it takes time. Uh, so I think eventually, the, um, I think eventually they will come up with uh, this type of, of content. You mentioned uh, Disney's design to produce franchises and we'll definitely talk to Disney Plus in a second. But one of the things that I, I think gives Disney a critical advantage is the theme park ownership, right? They, they sure. use the theme parks. Do you think at some point Netflix needs to own theme parks or kind of live experiences, I'll call it? I think they will, or they could eventually expand to that, towards that area. But I think comparisons with Disney are not uh, are not relevant. I would compare Netflix to YouTube. I mean, they're following a similar playbook. Netflix wants to own uh, not only your franchises because, I mean, if you just think for a second, uh, okay, uh, Star Wars is popular and and most of their Disney franchises are very popular. But uh, the bulk of our time is not. Uh, I mean, Netflix wants to own the bulk of our time, not just the the big franchises, the blockbusters. Netflix wants to own the comedy, the the content that is called not quality, because uh, there are times that you don't want to spend, uh, you know, what's super entertainment, super uh, created uh, uh, in-depth content, and you just want to relax, and what's content that is not as good that you enjoy. So... I think they are following the aggregators approach. They, they want to own premium content and they didn't have to spam that way. They could, but I didn't think they, they need to. Yeah. And to me, the thing that always people scream, oh, they don't have the quality. And I look at them and I kind of look at some of the shows that Netflix has revived. You know, you look at uh, you, you look at Cobra Kai, uh, a couple others that other networks canceled, literally canceled, and Netflix picks them up and turns them into international mm-hmm. smash hits. And, and I look at that and I say, other networks are, are you know, they, they've got these hugely valuable shows, they can't get an audience, and then you put them on Netflix and they're breakout hits. It's like, to me, that just speaks to how big the, the power sure. of this platform. Do you want to add anything on to like the year yeah, or the, the revival? Go ahead. Yeah, I, th- I think... Um, I think quality is subjective. You cannot uh, judge quality because, for example, there are uh, linear in, in here in Spain. It's not. It's almost dead among uh, people. Build uh, so similar to I don't know if you watch this or too hot to handle. It's kind of like reality uh, show on Netflix. <laughs> well, you you laugh, but there are, there are this huge following uh, among this type of uh, yeah. shows, and teenagers love this type of content. They love it, and you know they is that quality. You could argue it's not, but if there are hundreds or millions of people watching this type of content, uh, you'll eventually have to do this. And super unlikely Disney or other type of competitors will span towards uh, these areas. And I think it's a really important part of television. Television is not only drama or uh, you know fiction or you have to own this type of content. And yeah. also, uh, I think tastes uh, or global tastes um, 
are a function of what was previously available on a, on a global level. So that's hugely influenced by UAS content. And tastes have to be educated through creation and through discovery. And you may, you might not know that you are a huge Terra fan, uh, but if you eventually uh, get some, uh, you know, uh, Japanese uh, terrorist movies, this is completely strange, but uh, Netflix allows this type of discovery or creation similar to Spotify in many, many aspects. You may, you may not know that you like this some, type, some kind of music, but eventually, uh, well, this is kind of interesting. I really like this and, you know, allows you to try out new, new things, new, new, new genres, new categories. I think that's a huge asset. Yeah, 100% agree. You know, one of the cool things about Netflix is if you go on and like, uh, as a Netflix bull, you might not want to hear this, but me and my best friend share a, share a Netflix account. You know, we got that password sharing going. But like, if I go on my profile and then I go on his profile, it's almost a completely different search. It's completely you know? different. It's completely different. I've, I've, I've got on slide in the, in the, in the report, in the, in the write-up, that, you know, discovery and creation has evolved uh, throughout uh, the years. And if, if you just look at the slide, it's just um, screens are completely different. The recommended movies are completely different. You have a fan. And even the clip, you know, the clip that he gets shown, the, the Witcher clip, he gets shown uh, the Witcher clip. And it's, it's more terrifying and induces uh, horror fans to watch the display. The, the, um, instead, the the other the other account gets on a more generic clip of the the series. I think that's incredible. That's I think it's not very commented, but user experience and creation and discovery in Netflix is su- vastly superior than other competitors that don't even have these capabilities. And this lead, I think, is only going to increase in the next decade. Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, that's actually a great segment to you know. I think. Outside of the, I think we've addressed the the quality and quantity argument, but I, I think the new big bear case, and I generally don't talk about quarterly earnings on these podcasts because I want them to be somewhat evergreen and more focused on longer term, but I, I do think the quarterly earnings in this case <laughs> is useful. You know, Netflix reported <laughs> earnings uh, a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, subscriber ads was way below what I think <laughs> people were expecting. I think they kind of pulled down their target for the year. And I think people are starting to say two things. Well, their subscriber ads are hitting a new low right right now and that's just happening as all the competition that we've been talking about for years is kind of popping up right the disney plus is getting ramped disney plus is over 100 million subs uh discovery plus just ramped paramount plus hbo max is ramping hulu peacock all these services are finally here there's finally a viable competitive space and i think people are looking at the viable competitive space and netflix kind of stalling out this year on subs and saying oh is Netflix's advantage as big as we thought? Is the competition actually going to uh, beat them back? How would you respond to that? Okay, so it's really funny because uh, those competitors that you just named are mostly US-based. Uh, so there's barely any competition outside. <laughs> and you just look at Netflix price and power in the US, <laughs> it's the highest among other geographies. So <laughs> among a huge competitive uh, environment, as you just called, Netflix has been able to increase price and power in the US uh, at a 9% clip since 2013. And they just ruled, uh, they just recently ruled uh, another price increase in 2021. Uh, uh, it's a substantial price increase and there barely was, there was no churn like zero and management uh, stated 
that China US was below uh, the pricing power, the pricing increase. So I think that's insane, and that can help you understand um, why I think Netflix has no competition uh, in the international landscape, and in the US is more muted. Um, so I think there's there was a huge uh, pull forward of swaps uh, in, 2000, in 2020. Obviously, if you just uh, it could be help a lot to the business. And I think the next quarter may be bumpy. And, and, and I don't think the market understands Netflix that well because uh, whenever they disclose the swaps below guidance, and the company just goes down to percent. <laughs> and uh, I mean, the 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 next decade is going to be bumpy for sure. Uh, there's always you know misses and of uh, soups, but I think they are still in a good position. Uh, most of the competition that you just named uh, was previously in the market, or the new competition is not. Um, I wouldn't say they are viable in the long term. So the discoveries, the peacocks, there. I think those are zeros or zeros, or eventually bundle uh, and create a compelling service because the value proposition is simply not there. Okay, it's interesting you said Discovery because Discovery is actually the one legacy media player that I like. But uh, why? Uh, let me push back a little bit. So you you mentioned Discovery in particular. If you want to talk Discovery in particular, we can, mm-hmm. or we we can just talk to the larger legacy bundle. But you know, I wasn't uh, talking about Discovery in particular, but yeah, so no, 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 that's fine. I, I look, it, it, it's no, no, no I, I take no offense. I'm just looking for a discussion. But I, I do think like the legacy media space needs to. No, no, I, I mean. I mean, I mean, uh, I was meaning to the that the other subscale players uh, do not represent uh, a threat, in my opinion. I wasn't talking about. I mean, discovery. I haven't watched discovery, but I mean, um, I was referring to the other subscale players. No, but that's why. I mean. Again, no, don't take anything. For, but uh, let, let me choose someone different than discovery, right? Viacom. Viacom, no, CBS, no, no. <laughs> which is launching a uh, Paramount Plus, right? And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. many media observers, myself included, mm-hmm. think Paramount Plus is going to be in for a tough time. But the counter would be, hey, with Paramount Plus, we have an incredible hook to get people in, right? We have the legacy CBS, uh, CBS channel where we can advertise it all the time. Plus, we have NFL streaming, right? They'll have all the AFC game streaming on Paramount Plus. That is a big hook to get people in that Netflix doesn't no. particularly have, right? And yes, they yes, their brands aren't that great, but if you look, they've got the Paramount Movie Studios. They've got a huge movie library. They do have some really good franchises in there. They've got Star Trek. They've got uh, they've got Star Trek. They've got SpongeBob for kids. <laughs> I know uh, the challenge MTV's reality show has a pretty big following online. So oh, they do good. have great brands, right? So when you say they're when you say they're dead, and I get it, like Netflix is a much bigger content spend, all this, but Viacom does have a hook. So like I, I could go through every single legacy media provider and show the hook that they've had. But why do you think these guys are going to struggle so much when they've got that interesting hook? Sure. Um, I think sports um, is going to be tough to maintain from this type of companies. Uh, I mean, there's going to be a huge, I think you can, it's difficult to establish a competitive advantage in sports. Why? Because um, this is all about the high speeder. Um, the NFLs of the world uh, want to extract the most amount of money. Um, so, Amazon ambitions uh, are going to go towards sports. Well, we just recently saw that Amazon is uh, disclosed that they have secured NFL rights for certain matches. And 
I think that's going to be eventually, that's going to be get eventually tougher. Um, sports are going to be one of the areas that uh, big tech is going to uh, deploy the capital, I think. Um, so I don't disagree with you. I think sports, mm-hmm. they're always going to get the biggest, they're always going to get the most rights and either somebody uses them as a loss leader, like a big tech company to get you in your platform yeah. or the sports yeah. just go direct. I don't disagree, yeah. with you, but Viacom now has the AFC ne- locked up for, I think the next 10 years. So why can't I look yeah. at Viacom's AFC relationship as a loss leader to get people into the no, Paramount sure. Plus universe? Sure, that's that's interesting. I think as long as they retain sports, uh, that um, I mean, fans are always going to watch this type of content. But when it comes to 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 media, you no, know, aside sports, uh, premium entertainment, uh, it is very difficult that these type of companies are going to to have good content. Why? Because they, first of all, they are not global. Uh, tasters, as, as I said, are global. I mean. Uh, in the in the US, you may watch some fifty percent, whatever percent of your shows are US based, but uh, you may find uh, an Indian movie entertainment, and you may find a Japanese show uh, compelling, and you don't have that. And Netflix has access to global uh, creativity. That's huge. Now, second of all, I mean, this type of companies uh, do not have the uh, what it takes to. Um, far to invest in developing and acquiring new content. Uh, what I mean by this is that um, if you are, they are going to have a tough time in securing uh, exclusive agreements. They are going to have a tough time in uh, locking up creativity on because biggest creators are going to eventually run up to Netflix of the world, the Disney's, and it's going to be tough. Uh, and then I think this type of platforms may eventually license their content to to bigger companies. Uh, I think sports, as long as they retain sports, uh, they will do fine. But you don't. It's real, really unlikely to me that you just go to Paramount Plus you know, to watch you know premium entertainment and you spend there uh, two two hours per day. It's really unlikely because Paramount. Paramount content is not uh, can be compared with Netflix because uh, it's not global, has no scale. I mean, that's pretty much it. No creation, no discovery. No, I do not. I'm not very bullish in this type of companies. But uh, sports may be, you know, may sustain uh, their subs for long run for a certain period of time. You know, I think the other bear case case on Paramount, and you've you've got a clip in there, like. You you look at what Paramount Plus, all these guys are spending in terms of content versus what Netflix is spending. And remember, yeah, it's uh, it's all about it's all about the value proposition at the end. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, maybe the the I mean, the sports fan are always going to have a, uh, the platform that that has the the favorite content. But at the end of the day, you are basically paying up fifteen or sixteen or whatever uh, dollars per month, and you are just uh, you are just uh, watching so much content i mean in terms of millions you, you just think for a second but because uh media uh, and media consumption is a tricky tricky business uh, i think you whenever you watch uh, for example the witcher you, you you don't realize the budget that that's involved in just a few hours because you just binge it so in a few hours of time and that so may have cost 200 million to make and you just binge 200 million and that's that's hard. That's a hard business model. If you are Did you scale. hear about the uh, Amazon, their new Lord of the Rings show, where they're going to yeah, 500, yeah, 500 million, million per episode. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, 
I think big tech is related towards biggest plastic titles or sports. Why? Because if you just uh, have content get, get lost, if you don't have uh, super creation capabilities, if you are not the de facto platform where people spend their time, uh, smaller content gets lost. I mean, I think that's basically that's it. Uh, yeah, no, this, this is something uh, I started talking about this a couple of years ago, but there was this uh, there was the show Mr. Mercedes, which I think it's on Peacock mm-hmm. now, but it went three mm-hmm. seasons. Um, it was based on a Stephen King book. I think it got incredible reviews. It had a pretty buzzy cast, but it was on like the direct TV channel or something. I, I can't remember exactly, but it never broke out because even though it was getting great reviews, great yeah, everything. Yeah. It, it was on a channel no one had. And yeah. it, it, people wonder what is king. People say content is king. And yeah, if you've got Disney plus content, if you've got Disney's Marvel IP and stuff, I, I guess content is king. People go find it. But for the most part, it's yeah. actually distribution is king, right? Like uh, if I have a 7.5 show. And yeah, that's why, that's why, yeah. that's why yeah. I argue that. Yeah, that's why I argue that uh, aggregators represent a bigger threat to Netflix than other streaming companies. Um that's male bear case uh, because uh, if you aggregators are trying to if aggregators uh, have the relationship with the customer and they are somehow uh, able to create a, a bundle that includes uh, subscale players now uh, this type of content wouldn't get lost on these platforms and you know that could represent a threat to Netflix because uh, nowadays Netflix relies on not relies but has been benefit or benefits from picking up obscure shows or shows that are not performing that well. I mean, Cobra Kai was not obscure by any means, but was not was not performing well in in YouTube, and they just pick up the show. So has a huge popularity. Same with Lucifer, with uh, Riverdale, with you. There's tons of shows, and if aggregators uh, control their relations with the customer. I mean, they will lose that type of advantage. But so, I see, so yeah. So. You mentioned aggregators as a threat. Uh, mm-hmm. Roku in the yeah. past year bought yeah. Quibi. I think they're hiring yeah. a lot of talent. So yeah. are, are you worried long-term they, about Roku's ability to maybe, I don't want to say supplant, but, but Roku is clearly making mm-hmm. a move to build a Netflix competitor. Are you worried about them? Yeah, I think the biggest threat of Netflix in the next decade is going to be, are going to be aggregators. Uh, Roku Jazz, uh, um, renamed their Quibi acquired content as Roku Originals, and they are going to invest um, towards you know further growing that content. Uh, but it's interesting because uh, aggregators don't do not own uh, content; they just aggregate others. Uh, well, uh, if you want to Roku's ambitions, uh, um, Roku's long-term uh, ambitions are becoming the YouTube for TV. Right, but the thing is that um, it's really hard because um, I think there are a lot of stuff here. Because uh, I mean, the main point is that user experience um, is hard to to master. I mean, in order to to become an aggregator, you have to have top level uh, user experience, and in order to do that, uh, any given user has to find compelling content uh, that they like. And you have to have the compelling content and the user has to find it. So you have to have super great discovery capabilities. There's that. Uh, there's aggregated nowadays aggregators are not are really, um, you know, not really end, end game aggregators because they just, uh, in the Roku channel, you have the Roku channel, but there's no, um, for example, 
Disney content. You cannot, uh, well, Fire TV, new Fire TV operating system, for, for example, um, has features where you can just watch Disney from the home screen and then you can autoplay uh, Netflix title uh, stars playing. And that's basically, that's what I mean by end game aggregators. But uh, I think the content will always be worse in uh, this type of uh, aggregators. Why? Because um, you rely on external third parties, right? Who are the external third parties? May, uh, most of the external third parties are linear. I mean, outside of the US, who are the third parties who provide you content? Linear, linear companies, linear TV companies. These linear TV companies uh, do not high, do not have this cultural, this mindset of uh, investing for the long run. Uh, uh, maybe um, they cannot spread the cost of failure uh, among a huge subscriber base. It's really difficult to do, you know, to maybe a uh, 300 million budget Spanish film. That's unthinkable because uh, these type of companies. Uh, haven't done that in, in his whole life, um, then uh, this type of companies are not bold by any means. They are not going to invest in titles that um, they think that are not going to be, you know, hugely popular and or mainstream. And it's going to be hard to have really special content or you know this bold type of content that Netflix does all the time. They have ton of failures, uh, but that's. Uh, that's necessary because if you are creating new content that hasn't been created before, uh, it's necessary. There are changing a lot of uh, landscapes in, in, in animation. They are completely changing, changing the game. Uh, animation had been always uh, controlled by Disney. And it's incredible that without any meaningful IP, they've been able to create a substantial animation powerhouse in just a few years without relying meaningful IP, uh, they just rely on their creators. And Netflix brand become, you know, become a um, a group of creators. They don't rely on brands and the brand is their creators. And I think because of this type of uh, main, these two factors, aggregators we, aggregators, we have a, a hard chance, um, or hard time um, displacing Netflix, but it could happen. Uh, I think that's the biggest threat. But I think eventually Netflix will have better content. And on, moreover, um, supply economics um, and value proposition. Because um, unlike user, this is not, you have to understand that, well, you probably understand, but this is not an industry with user-generated content. So in order to create a movie or so, you have to, um, you have to contact many people. Many people are involved in the creation of the show. That takes a lot of long time, long period of time, years and cost a lot of money so if you cannot do it by your own uh, so aggregators don't make much sense or uh, the value proposition is not that clear because you have someone who's investing for you someone who's uh, spreading the cost of other someone who's willing to make ball bets with a completely decentralized uh, culture that green lights content in a local uh, you know, local teams, uh, they don't rely, of course, they don't rely on centralized system uh, in order to green light content. They can green light content in a local manner and they are able to offer all of that content for a flat uh, $50 subscription fee. Um, the value proposition is super good for the consumer. And if you just aggregate uh, third-party linear content, the value proposition is said to be worse. Uh, prices are going to be uh, much higher and content is going to be worse. That's what I think. 
Let me ask another question. Uh, this sure. is a surprisingly popular beer case. Years and years ago, I believe Netflix used to disclose churn, and then they stopped. Sure. Yeah. And I think a, a frequent question is, uh, if Netflix, if their economics are so good, if their churn yeah, is so why good, don't hmm. why, why don't they disclose churn? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. I've, maybe for, for competitive reasons, but I'm not sure. But if you just look at the U.S., uh, if you want to get a, you know, you want to get a grasp of uh, the industry dynamics and how different players have uh, the levers of churn, um, you have third-party data, of course, and Netflix is often uh, the lowest, uh, the lowest end. And but if you don't want to rely on third-party data, you can just look at US because uh, US has, um, I previously said, uh, they have increased prices at a super high. Uh, right, I am certainly surprised that um, there hasn't been any meaningful churn in the US, yeah. and that's the most competitive market because outside of the US, there's no competition. I mean, you could argue that US is an oligopoly, and there's but there's no competition outside. Uh, Netflix is years ahead of everyone else in the in the local scene, but I think everyone is super focused on the US, the US, the US, the US. But uh, internationally, Netflix is much stronger. And in the market where Netflix is supposedly, uh, uh, well, the more competitive market, where Netflix value proposition is uh, comparatively weaker, uh, there's no churn, and they have, uh, they have, you know, they have increased their the prices at a nine percent clip or something like that uh, for the past six years. So I think that's impressive. This is more like this is more like your telephone, your telephone bill that you just pay no matter what, and you, and you you don't really. You, you don't really ask yourself if you should be paying up Netflix if they just increase the prices. I think there's, there's a long way ahead in terms of pricing power. Let me stick with the, the economics of the business for a second. And this is actually diametrically opposed, right? But for years, one yeah. of the bear cases has been, look, Netflix, and I'm going to use this term acknowledging that it's a pun. The, the, okay. the bear case would be Netflix is a house of cards, right? The only reason that the Netflix model works is because they are a bubble. They've got the super cheap cost of capital, whether it's on the debt side or the equity side. And the moment the market stops funding their perpetual losses, uh, the whole thing's going to collapse in a house in mm-hmm. a house of cards, right? So that was one side. The other side of the bear case recently, which is kind of interesting, Netflix with their Q1 earnings announced, I think it was their first buyback ever. Maybe they did some years and years ago, but it, yeah, they, the first time they're going to become a capital returner, right? Yeah. Um, I. And the second bear case would be, oh, look, they're returning capital, like the business model sucks, and now they're just a levered return of capital story, the growth story is over. And it's funny because those are diametrically opposed, and the second one is a newer bear case. But could you speak to both sides of that, I guess, like the cost of capital coin that I mentioned there? Okay, so i like to highlight a quote that I really like. I think it's Jerry, Jerry Capital on Twitter, who used to say, uh, bears are worried about pricing power. Uh, uh, when stocks increase and when stocks um, pricing power and um, pricing increases are imposed and and stocks do not increase at a, a higher uh, rate, bears are worried about pricing out stocks. So I mean, <laughs> I think it's funny because uh, whenever Netflix uh, increases prices, stocks do not increase at you know uh, higher rates. And when Netflix uh, decides to to keep prices the same, uh, stocks tend to increase higher. I mean, tend to rise higher. Um, so the first bear case, I think Netflix was a uh, dangerous company. Uh, I mean, it was a risky company a few years ago. Uh, quite risky because you rely on, on others' content. You rely on licensing 
content from from other people. You don't have your own content, and and you don't even they didn't even have uh, the the scale and the the amount of uh, international presence that they now have. And I think I think it was Bill Miller who got pitched Netflix uh, in the early days and who re- rejected the idea because um, because they he thought that it was a pretty risky business. And nowadays, a couple of years ago, he bought the company, uh, acknowledging that the business had changed and it's a more defensive business right now. So first, uh, your first point, I think it's, um, I think the early days Netflix was, could be, you know, um, could be compared to what you just said. But nowadays they have the ability, they just said that they, do not rely on external debt in order to sustain the operations. Uh, I mean, you just um, well, everyone saw that if 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 content if cash spend is uh, slows down, um, Netflix is hugely profitable, and they can tweak a bit uh, gas content spend um, if they need to. I mean, um, they are investing just ahead, and they will not probably they would probably not do this, but. Uh, I think this outlines how Netflix controls its own, its own destiny right now, and it's not relying on third parties in order to execute its strategy. So I think it's all the execution risk right now. And to the other point, what was the other point? I forget. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, no, I, I like all the points you just made. You know, I guess the the one other thing is it's just interesting to think back. I, I mean, Bill Miller in the early days, until no. probably sixteen or seventeen, Netflix hadn't reached yeah. what we call escape velocity, and it was like every time they raised money or did. It was all a bet the company thing because they knew we we need to hit scale before anyone else can, or else we're dead. Yeah. And become HBO uh, before HBO becomes us. <laughs> but, yeah, that's good. The interesting thing is, like, because they were in a bet the company mode, and you look at all their competitors, like, there's no doubt HBO, Disney, all these hmm. guys had way better assets, better brands, everything. Yeah. But because they had a very profitable legacy business, they were always the dipping their toes into it, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. they're. Even HBO today, like HBO Max and HBO Go, like nobody could describe what was different and it, it, it was insane. So it's funny because Netflix was always in bet the company mode, maybe they were yeah. slightly less risky than the other yeah. companies. You could never do that. I uh, mean, I've, I've never, I've never come, come up with a company that has changed its business model. Well, maybe, but has changed its business model over the decades uh, so many times. So the first transition from DVD to, to streaming, second transition from license to original. Now there's here in uh, uh, the international expansion, expansion, expansion on top. I think the culture here is uh, super nimble. They are uh, they are super uh, adaptable company, and that's a that's a huge asset. And the other point that you just make uh, on the buybacks. Um, I mean, businesses are designed to, or the goal should be, the end goal should be to return capital to shareholders, and. It's funny that people complain when when Netflix starts returning capital, and and I don't think I have seen some some you know some commentaries about well Netflix has no other place to to deploy its capital and it's therefore uh, seeking to you know has nothing to do with the capital and they decided to to buy back stock in order to sustain their already uh, elevated or bubbly valuation, <laughs> but I think they are super good capital allocators. They don't want to keep cash that they don't need in the business. Um, they are optimizing the business. I mean, they are just returning capital because they think they don't need it. They are close to invest 20 billion of cash content this year. I think it's 17. They just disclosed in the recent call. And I don't think there's 
lack of options. I think content takes time. You cannot, you can't just deploy uh, 50 billion of capital. Yes, it takes time. You have to build local teams. You have to build expertise around many areas, many categories, many countries. It's difficult. You can do it in a year or two. And it takes time. They will eventually scale the, the gas content. But in the meantime, they have become so profitable. Or, I mean, not profitable, but I mean, they, they, they can sustain uh, a buyback and they decide to do it. And I think it's a great, great option. Let me, uh, let me talk. So obviously Netflix, you have a position in it and, and let me just, you know, everything is an opportunity cost, right? When I'm buying yeah, Netflix, I'm sure. choosing, there's 3000 sure. other stocks in the world I can't buy. But sure. so when I look at Netflix and I'll just do opportunity cost of media, right? But Netflix right now, sure. enterprise value is 250 billion. If sure. I went and looked across kind of the media and tech space, you know, I think my comparables would be, well, I could go buy Netflix for 250 billion or I could buy Disney for about 400 billion and I get, you know, all those great brands, Disney Plus, <laughs> the parks, all that, right? I could buy that for four hundred billion. Uh, I could go buy Netflix. What some people think is Netflix two point I could go buy Spotify for fifty billion. That's uh, yeah, sure. The now the business model is more flex, but it's a lot cheaper, right? Uh, if I want to stick in media, Discovery and Viacom are both around forty billion dollars. And you you talked about how they've got a hard business going forward, mm-hmm. but those are very profitable as that legacy bundle rolls off. How quickly that rolls off, who knows? But those are very profitable. The early returns from their streaming services seem to be going pretty well. Uh, Forty billion dollar enterprise value, less than ten times EV to EBITDA. These things, there's not a lot of capex, so these things print free cash flow in the meantime. Like, so when I'm looking at all these, why why is Netflix the place I want to put money instead yeah, of sure. if we're just limited to those other couple companies? I agree. I, I agree with you. I think I think Netflix opportunity in terms of. Uh... You know, in terms of future returns, is definitely lower now than it was uh, one year ago, a couple of years ago. I think uh, I think valuation is more demanding right now. Um, I still think you can underwrite 15% uh, returns over the long run, but I think valuation is more stretched. I definitely agree. Um, I wouldn't be comfortable with some of the, uh, you know, uh, the discovery, I mean, the, the, the linear, uh, the linear companies, the linear stuff. Uh, but for sure, uh, you could own Spotify, you could own, own Amazon instead. And I think they might be com- more compelling picks. I think valuation is more stretched. Um, but Netflix is super volatile and now it's trading at, uh, dollars but mm, who knows? Maybe in just two months, uh, they could, stock could correct a lot. So, I have a long-term position in it. Uh, it's not huge. Uh, but the thing I want to outline, I think uh, most of people miss, is that um, this is not. This is still day one in terms of uh, streaming penetration, uh, in terms of, you know, hours watched, in terms of uh, pricing power, in terms of... So there's still a huge run, a long run uh, towards... I think they can get to eventually 500 million subscribers. So... Yeah, sure. Valuation is more stretched, but I think this is still a long run. Streaming is definitely not bigger. It's less than ten percent of US TV time. So you know you have to you have to take into account that it's still early days. Uh, last last question for me, and then I'm going to give you last thoughts. Um, you know, for years people would ask Netflix about competition, just Disney sure. Plus, HBO. 
And Netflix would always respond like, we're aware of competition, but our main competition is not Disney Plus. It's they would use one of two things. They would either say sleep. it's linear TV or they would say it's sleep and Fortnite and all these other options, right? So yeah, right. when I look at that, the the one that jumps out at me is Fortnite, right? Because I, I think mm-hmm. increasingly the worlds of storytelling and video games are going to collide. So I do wonder at sure. some point. I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Does ne- does Netflix need to get into the video game? I think I think they should. I think there's a great opportunity in the long run. Uh, in order to, I mean, if you just look at Netflix, Netflix business is storytelling. Uh, video games, uh, video games are in storytelling as well, but it's interactive storytelling that you just uh, it's different, right? You create your own story like video game, and I think there's a huge opportunity uh, going forward. I mean. If you just think it for a second, uh, think about more immersive storytelling. Maybe in VR, who knows? And Netflix just designs the story and you are present. You are like fully living the story. I think human nature will always be attracted towards storytelling, towards a more passive form of entertainment because uh, there are certain parts of the day where you don't want to play a video game. You just want to, you know, be on auto. You just want to passively watch content. And But I think... Interactive storytelling. I think Netflix has proved that uh, it was called Bandernuts. Uh, they released some, yep. you know, interactive interactive storytelling bust. I think that's a that's a very compelling opportunity, and I I think it's super interesting. No other, for sure, no other competitors uh, will. I think they will probably be leading uh, leading the, the the industry when it comes to innovation, uh, and I think that's a great opportunity to go forward. Uh, and I agree, uh, video games or other forms of, uh, you know, entertainment like TikTok, YouTube are competing more um, in terms of our, you know, daily watch time than a Disney or Amazon Prime. So I think that's important. Well, hey, I, I want to turn it over to you. Is Last sure. thoughts. Is there anything you want to wrap up or is there anything you wish we had hit a little bit harder or that we didn't hit that you wish we had hit? Uh, I'll mm-hmm. just flip it over to you. Sure. So I think um, Netflix is often, is often thought as a company, as a house of cards, as you just said, that uh, whenever a competition uh, wants to increase you know, um, their offerings or wants to improve their offerings, uh, Netflix is going to fall off. But if you just think it for a second, I do not think Netflix has any competition uh, really uh, standard peers. I mean, they have similar companies. But no one is following the same playbook. I mean, no one is willing to play by the same rules. Um, no one is willing to, you know, invest in so many verticals, so many countries trying to own, basically own uh, uh, premium entertainment. Basically, um, they are following the aggregated playbook. And for example, if you just take Apple, lost leader for their for their for the bundle and splashy titles, uh, it's really unlikely that they expand locally uh, with you know more obscure titles and more verticals. Why? Because as I previously said, creation and discovery are hugely important assets. You need to master those in order to have local content because if you don't master those, um, the content gets lost. People do not find compelling content. Netflix just released fast loves, uh, the features that allow you to further create your content and discover new content in an easier way. They're always on the forefront of innovation when it comes to creation, discovery, a top 10 list, trending, uh, I don't know, for you list. I mean, the other competitors barely have, you just enter Amazon Prime. They have great content, but 
equation is simply not there. And it's funny because you just look why Spotify is uh, succeed uh, because of their creation capabilities, because of a very user experience. And it's, it's funny that you could argue that Big Dead uh, would uh, destroy Netflix when they haven't been able to make it end on the Spotify uh, prospects. Uh, and the business is much more defensive because you have to create your own content. You have to build local teams. You have to, you know, um, it's more defensive. And I think overall, um, Next ten decade, the next uh, ten years are going to be really interesting when it comes to content creation. I think we're going to see content that hasn't uh, hadn't been produced in, in our lifetimes, and when we'll see, you know, franchises, international franchises. I think it's going to be super, you know, super fun. And you know, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I think still the opportunity is compelling. Uh, the management team still uh, driving the I mean at the forefront of the business and they are there for the next decade so I think it's a pretty compelling opportunity perfect what are you uh, what are you watching on Netflix right now what's top of your Netflix queue sure I'm not uh, I'm not a huge uh, media you know uh, <laughs> uh, I mean I do not watch a lot of media uh, that's why I think it's important to not extrapolate your own your own like your own taste or your own your way of seeing the world uh, towards your investment because I do not have Facebook or, or I mean, I do not have Instagram. So that'd be hard. But I recently saw uh, Shadow and Bone. I don't know if you heard about that, but it's similar to the wi- Shadow and Bone. Shadow and Bone is similar to the Witcher. Oh, I, I read the. It's, go ahead, go ahead. I'll tell you my story in a second. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm biased because I, um, I'm a fiction fantasy fan and I do like. I really like this kind of stuff, but this, I think it was super, super fun. Okay. So, uh, I, I love fiction. I love fiction. And I yeah. read, uh, I actually read the shadow and bone series earlier this year and I was really disappointed with it. So six of crows is her other book where Kaz, if you, it's actually mm-hmm. a separate book series, but I hear they incorporate them in shadow, Bone. I loved mm-hmm. her books with Kaz. I did not like yeah. shadow and bone, but my wife has been binging those and really enjoying them. <laughs> uh, but it, it just shows there's tons of stories out there. And I, I heard it got good yeah. reviews. I was disappointed because I might have to watch it because I, I yeah. read it as yeah. well. But, Overall, I, I want to, I before you just wrap up, uh, I'm sorry if my English is a bit rusty and it's been a long time since I did my long, you know, long call. Um, you know, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's, hey, Javi, I, I, I think you did fantastic. I, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, you, you, were, you were awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, guys, thank you, the, thank you. the link to his piece is going to be in the show notes. It's Blind Squirrel Substack is the thing. His piece was awesome. I encourage everyone to go read it. Encourage everyone to follow it. And Javi, looking forward to having you on for a second one at some point. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andre. See Have you. Have a good one, man.